This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Today on a very special Let's Go show, I'm happy to welcome Tice, CEO of Office App, and now colleague of mine. Tice, good to have you on, man. Thanks, thanks. Very happy to be here and be part of the uh, the HQO team now. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we start from the start? When uh, give us a little bit of the backstory in terms of uh, when you started Office App and how you got into it. Great. So I um, I don't have any background in real estate. I think that's a good thing. I started uh, actually, uh, I studied to become an accountant, uh, didn't want to become an accountant. And my dad just said, if you want to learn how to start a business, look at the numbers first. Um, I still think it's quite valuable, but I would love to have a different uh, experience in my uh, student days. But it's uh, after graduation, immediately started my first company in tech. Uh, loved everything around technology and always wanted to start something. Um, and was mainly attracted by consumers uh, and uh, consumer tech, basically. So my first company was something completely different for, from what I'm currently doing. That's called Kinderen.nl. It's the equivalent of children.com, a health platform for young um, young parents with about 500 videos and 2,000 articles about health and growth of young kids, all made by doctors. And that was a big success, actually. Uh, uh, just uh, after we launched, we uh, uh, were number one everywhere. I had the largest amount of visitors, so it was great experience and uh, uh, basically a success story from uh, from day one. Um, uh, sold that for way too little money. And uh, with that money, I thought, let's try this again. So I started into the same realm of parenting, which which was a social network for young parents, Sproutly, and uh, launched that in the Netherlands. And we, again, had quite some users, uh, got investment, uh, grew that to France and Italy. And that was my main experience. I think also expanding into different kinds of countries with different cultures and uh, and languages. So that was... Um, uh, I think really good, but what was also a great experience was uh, the uh, the element of struggling in uh, uh, basically getting your company to a, to a level where it's actually uh, ready to scale, uh, uh, which was not Sproutly. <laughs> um, we were simply not able to execute at a high level and monetize our individual users at a scalable perspective and uh, had to stop this after three and a half years, invested all of my money into this business. Had to start all over, so I did a job at Philips, the lighting company, integration job, not very exciting, but what was very exciting was my first experience in a larger office building. And that was a horrible experience. So I wanted to change that and started to look into this market and saw that there was basically nobody really understanding offices. uh, And that results, I think, also in my bad experience. Um, and uh, there were a lot of dispersed providers of different facility management or building solutions. And I wanted to change that and started to look more deeply into this. And then uh, I also saw that uh, basically all of the decisions that were being made were on feeling and on previous experience and not on data. Um, and by combining the integration parts and the, uh, uh, the data parts, I could easily provide a, a front end solution with uh, my love for 
providing experience to individual, whether that's parents or in my case uh, now on uh, employees and tenants, uh, but also the, the the harder and the deeper tech element of integration and uh, centralizing data to give richer insights to your actual customers. I think that's what I was missing before, or I see now, is that solely providing a solution for consumers is uh, is nice because you can really create impact for individuals. But um, creating value for your customers is also something that is really valuable and very interesting from, uh, from that perspective. And uh, I think uh, real estate has been waiting for this for a very long time, and I'm very happy to uh, uh, to be part of this journey. Started off uh, at a very already seven years ago, and now uh, in a, in a combination with uh, with HEO to actually make sure that we build that impact and have that impact for individual employees uh, and uh, provide that value to uh, to our customers. Yeah, you mentioned uh, not coming from commercial real estate and saying that's a good thing. I completely agree. I think when you look at other industries where companies have started and had the most impact, I think one of the, the biggest correlations is that the founders typically do not come from the industry. So they're not kind of weighed down with the bias of the way things are supposed to work. And I think, you know, you see that in our category in particular, where a lot of times some groups when they're selling in are trying to kind of leverage the whole idea that uh, you know we come from industry so therefore you should buy from us which uh, if you just purely look at the objective data historically on what companies succeed in technology that's really the the anti-correlation so um, I, we certainly saw I think from our first conversations which it was funny you were you and I met in person in Boston. I believe it was our second meeting, but uh, literally the day before lockdown, you just barely got out of the, the United States <laughs> before you're getting off. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, for a couple of meetings in New York and then uh, um, got over to uh, to Boston. And uh, next day I heard I had to leave the co uh, country and uh, all the flights were full. So it was a crazy time to actually get back and then um, come to a country or to a uh, to a globe that is basically uh, in this state. So that was not uh, the result I was expecting. Yeah, well, I was joking with our, our team here at HBO and we told them about joining forces with Office App. I said, you know, we're really lucky that this deal is getting done because our first meeting was basically in a sketchy alleyway in New York City when, <laughs> when there was a little bit of a mix-up on my end as to where we were meeting. Uh, there the location that we went to certainly was not where people in business meetings. And then luckily we found somewhere to meet. We didn't stay there. And then the, the second meeting, you almost didn't make it back home out of the country. So uh, it's good that we were able to, to get past the, the two false starts there. But I guess, um, you know, turning your attention to the future, what, what about kind of, you know, you've, you've mentioned the employee, which I think is so important. Like we talk a lot about tenant experience and, you know, our point of view at HQO is that the word tenant is a terrible word. For whatever reason, our industry doesn't call uh, their customers customers. They call them tenants. Tenant has kind of this gross feeling to it where like you're lucky to be a customer of the landlord. And when you go even further, I think the ultimate problem that this category should be focused on solving is employee engagement and making sure that employees are happy at work and the most productive that they can be. So 
you know, in terms of your view of the space, what are you most excited about in terms of looking ahead to 2022 and kind of what, what you guys are working on and what we can work on collectively? Yeah. I think there's a finally at a stage where a lot of things are happening, right? And um, I think the market has woken up. I think one of the benefits of COVID is that there's a, an active need to um, to iterate fast, uh, to to change to changing um, environments, to changing behavior, and that uh, if you have no view, if you have no insight, you are simply not able to to change, and that opens up a lot of uh, uh, possibilities. And, and I fully agree with you that the current market looks completely different, and it's not only on the on the tenant side; it's also on the uh, on the facilities side. If you look at, for example, facility managers, the name says it all, right? Facilitating people, and uh, currently, what it is, it's basically managing uh, processes and not facilitating people to work productively, to have a better experience, etc. And I think that's uh, that shows in all of the things that are currently uh, done. And uh, the reason is also because it's very costly to, to make those changes. If it's if it's all done by hands and operations, it's extremely costly to make those changes. And uh, so the only way to do change this is through technology, software, data analytics, et cetera. And uh, uh, I think there's multiple markets that have shown that this is possible. And I think uh, it's uh, just waiting until this happens. Uh, the next steps that are going to be is I think it's a trend that we've seen also in the uh, uh, in all of the RFP, RFPs that are coming up, that there's a lot of different providers of different technologies, whether that's parking management, uh, visitor management, room booking, access control, building maintenance systems. All of those individual systems are provided into an office building, and you are simply not able to centralize all of those systems for every individual building. So the only way to actually provide that is through a, um, a marketplace platform. Uh, and that means that integration is key to deliver on this. All of the requests that we are now seeing is provide an integrated solution because it scales much faster and you are simply able to centralize all of those data points. So I, what I currently see is that uh, one of the benefits of, of combining uh, um, HEO with Office App is that both of us already have a lot of integrations and uh, through the technology and the uh, the architecture that is built, we can easily re uh, uh, use on both platforms those individual integrations, which enables us to uh, not only implement and execute on portfolios really fast, but also um, from a data perspective, are simply very easily able to centralize and analyze those data points on a portfolio level, which uh, which I think is a is a great plus. And uh, so I, I believe that the uh, marketplace platforms will only become more important simply because the demand of individual tenants and individual uh, landlords um, require this to be successful and the enormous pressure that they are now having to deliver those insights and to make sure that uh, a higher tenant attraction and tenant retention, uh, similar to, I think, the pressure that comes from the individual tenants who have a huge problem of retaining and attracting talent, uh, and that means that those two combinations uh, make sure that uh, there is a, a hard requirement to be developing on this. Uh, the additional value that we can create as a as a combined company is that we not only serve the individual corporates in a building, we also serve the landlord. 
and the flex space that is de uh, delivered uh, to those individual commercial buildings, which I think is a, is a great fit uh, and is an actual requirement for the individual working in those buildings. Yeah. So in terms of, you mentioned working with both the, you know, the corporate occupiers as well as the landlords. What it, what do you think the biggest differences are in terms of, you know, when you're working across those two customer segments that you see and what on the, on the landlord side, because they tend to be a little bit lagging from, you know, commercial real estate collectively as an industry has been lagging in terms of technology adoption, uh, particularly software adoption. You know, in terms of the differences, what do you think landlords should be aware of from your conversations on the on the corporate side, and you know, what kind of adjustments do they need to make to ultimately be successful? I think for landlords, the um, the biggest difference is um, understanding the value of engagement and experience in an office building. What we have now seen is that we usually help a lot with our, our customers to be successful in those buildings, to have high adoption and engagement. And the simple reason is that most of our customers simply don't see the real value of that. Of, they see potential value, but they, they don't see the real value of engagement and adoption. I think that correlates with what you said before on that they call them tenants and that, that they focus not on them as customers. And that's a that's a completely different focus. You have to make sure that there's more cohesion in the building, that people feel connected. They want to go into these office buildings and that they feel appreciated for being there because otherwise they, they choose something else or they are not satisfied. We also see, for example, in implementation and execution is that uh, with our co corporate customers, there's usually an implementation team of around 10 people which works very efficiently and uh, enables the success of these customers, where sometimes on the landlord side, uh, we either have to do it all by ourselves or we uh, have help with the property manager uh, and um, or help from uh, from an individual smaller team. And if you make this decision and if you want to be successful, uh, then um, uh, I think it's valuable to, to have a strong focus on implementing the successful. And we, I think a lot of the, Landlords who have put that energy in there have seen that that uh, uh, results in, uh, in a lot of success also from tenant uh, attraction and uh, tenant retention. Yeah. And I think that implementation piece is such a kind of key point in terms of, you know, for, for so long on the landlord side, they've been happy to just kind of say, here's your floor or multiple floors or however much space, you know, people, their customers are taking and, you know, we do some traditional TI work and, you know, maybe knock down some walls, build some conference rooms, whatever it is. But the kind of mantra overall of the, the landlord and the commercial real estate industry is uh, they want to drive down as little possible investment in TI and capital expenses to make sure that they get the long-term lease. And there really hasn't been a lot of thought on customer success in commercial real estate right like you know when we talk to our customers and one of the things we like about office app was kind of similar mantra of what are your business objectives that you're trying to achieve and how can this how can our technology ultimately help you achieve that and you've now mentioned employee attraction engagement retention and at the end of the day the landlord's customer if they're spending money on commercial real estate it's predominantly for facilitating people, like you said, and getting the getting the ROI out of bringing their people together in person. 
landlords have this mentality of, you know, we just want to get the long-term lease and then our job is done. And I think there's kind of a reckoning coming for the industry where you see even IWG and WeWork and all of these new models where they're going directly to corporates and they have a much more hands-on relationship with the client and the customer with regards to how space actually facilitates their business. And I think landlords need to move really, really quickly in doing that. And the only way they're going to do that successfully is if they do it through, you know, they have technology that can ultimately help them measure the impact of their product. So I think that implementation piece is a huge sticking point because if you can't even get started with technology, it's, it's going to be hard to ultimately adjust to becoming really customer oriented because you don't even get off the starting blocks. So that's one of the things that, you know, I think is really interesting about the corporates that, you know, they're, they're used to adopting technology. Yeah. And they, they have learned uh, from, from, from previous experience on implementing that technology. So usually also they, they have made all the mistakes in the books. They, they know how to implement this and that makes it very efficient. Um, one other thing that that I also think is a real difference is uh, uh, RFP requests, which shows that um, uh, on the corporate side they fully understand what what it means to actually implement this and the request. But on the landlord side, uh, I think it would be very helpful to um, to make sure that those consultants who uh, help setting up an RFP actually speak to a lot of us uh, and and to uh, to our competitors to actually understand what the value is that they are trying to find um and and write an RFP based on that uh, because it's it completely destroys the uh, the overall strategy that those companies has if you if you start wrong on the uh, on the RFP side yeah uh, and you're being nice about it too because i think what we're going to see is there's a lot of people grabbing a lot of money right now doing these RFPs and they're basically putting together these shitty spreadsheets of features. It's horrible. And it, yeah, it's ridiculous. There's nothing about like, you know, we, we recently filled one of these out and there's nothing to stop anybody from just being like, yeah, we can do all this. There's zero diligence on the actual technology, but before you even get to diligencing the technology, which none of these consultants actually do, um, they don't start with what's the business objective. So like on an asset by asset basis, if you're, let's say you're running an RFP for a ten experience platform across the portfolio, the objectives at building A, where you might have 50% vacancy compared to building B, where you're fully leased, but you've got a lot of rollover coming up in the next two to three years. Those are separate objectives. One is, can this technology help you attract tenants to fill vacant space in building A? And in building B, it's how do we quickly engage the folks that have lease breaks coming up to make sure that they renew. And those are two separate strategies, right? And I'm yet to see a single RFP where their actual business objectives that touch bottom line NOI assigned and say, how can you help us achieve these objectives versus like, hey, can you do digital access where everybody says yes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and it's a shame, right? Because you lose two years for everyone. So the, the, the goal is simply not met because uh, nobody is able to deliver value if, if this keeps on happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're starting to see some people in the space, certainly two, three years ago, we talked to some folks, to your point, about two years and they're back in the market. And I think um, it's an education process. We've, we've talked to a couple of groups that 
uh, actually tried to build their own technology and they've since come back and I think are recognizing how hard it is to build technology. It's never done. Software is never done. You're constantly updating the number two. Hiring engineers is tough and keeping engineers uh, engaged and all that is tough. So, um, but they're they're coming back to market smarter than they were before, and I think much more aligned, you know, actual business objectives, which is good for the industry, good for the category uh, overall. So it's a it's a good thing. Um, uh, switching gears a little bit, you know, what in terms of how you guys view the European market compared to the U.S. market, do you guys see any major differences at all? Uh, I think the, the on the on the corporate side, we don't see that much differences. I think there's there's some basic elements. For example, the uh, uh, there's a lot of cultural and language barriers that are slightly different. For example, in uh, in Belgium, you can order beers in the company restaurant, where uh, that never happens in any other country. Um, uh, but it's, um, I like that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, but is, um, uh, I think the, the biggest difference is the, uh, the services and amenities side where in North America, that focus is much more there. It's much more focused on the, on the individual. Also in the APAC, you see that there's a lot of fer- uh, focus on services and amenities where in Europe, there's less and less focus on specifically that and more focus on the, on the um, facility side. I think that's also mainly due to cost of um, uh, people, but it's uh, that is mainly the the reason why there's less focus on services and amenities, or it's outsourced to individual companies that uh, have just a normal business, but uh, also sell specific um, services to uh, to the individual building. Yeah, and in terms of kind of the culture of the two companies, you know, just to put you on the hot seat here, what what stood out to you in terms of how you guys think about your culture and ultimately, you know, partnering two companies, there needs to be some some sort of shared perspective. Um, so I guess what what was your point of view on HBO's culture and what was a what was a draw in terms of uh, doing a deal? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the cultural part is one of the most important elements, uh, right? So it's a uh... Uh, if if there's no cultural fit, there, there's no success in actually growing this co- uh, uh, this company together. But it's a, I think it's a harder and a softer element in the in the cultural. So it's a, you need to have that focus on growth. You need to be willing to actually go three four x a year, and that means that is a cultural element into this business to focus on how can you actually make this happen because it's tough. Uh, and the second part is I think the softer element, which is. Uh, how do we work together? Are we uh, are we a closed company or are we very transparent and open in communication? Um, do we understand each other's problems or are we just uh, yelling at each other? Uh, I think these are all elements that uh, maybe at first you hope that they are going to be the same and then you go into an acquisition process and then you uh, really found out, find out uh, how people work together. And I think that's a uh, um, uh, as, I, as I said also in the presentation to, to my team, is that it's, uh, it's very comforting to go to, through a stage of, uh, uh, of acquisition um, and uh, come out to the uh, other end uh, where you are a combined company and have the comfort that this is actually going to work from a, from a working perspective and having work and fun together. 
Um, and I think the uh, the coffee and the dodgy element to uh, in, the, in the dodgy alley to uh, uh, to the uh, wines and beers and tequilas in uh, uh, in Paris uh, also are very important to that part. It's uh, it's not only work, right? <laughs> Absolutely, uh, the the tequila in Paris certainly helped for sure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure there's any problem that tequila in Paris can't solve, so that's good. <laughs> Uh, it's usually wide, but you know, special times call for special measures. Um, all right, la last question, as I know we're coming up on half an hour here. Uh, prediction for where we'll be in five years? Um, I think um, eighty percent of the um, marketplace is uh, is fully connected, uh, which uh, should be more than sufficient to cover the uh, the globe um, and all of those uh, service providers. Uh, uh, and, and then there's two very important elements. And that's impact. Uh, do you um, can you have the impact on the global workforce to make sure that they really have a different experience, that they really have uh, a perception of that technology in their office building uh, is similar to technology that they have in their consumer lives, um, and not 10, 20 years behind. Um, and I think lastly is the um, the data element is uh, if we have that marketplace optimized. Uh, I know behind the scene, all of our engineers are working their ass off to make sure that we not only integrate, but also centralize uh, all of those different data points to make sure that we can actually create valuable insights and, uh, and ROIs to, those, uh, to all of our customers to create that value. Uh, I think that is the, uh, uh, the thing that where we can create the most value and actually make sure that all of those individuals making sure that they facilitate the people in the building are actually doing this based on data and actually uh, therefore being able to create that value. I love it. Tice, thanks a bunch for coming on the Let's Go show. Uh, maybe next month I'll have you take over the show. Uh, I think that people are getting sick of hearing from me. So <laughs> thanks for coming on. And uh, I'm sure you'll be a uh, regular recurring guest as we move forward. Definitely. Sounds good. Thanks. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.